What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. Welcome back, Nightmare Success listeners. Um, you guys come here to hear, you know, what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? How do you adapt? How do you survive? How do you overcome? Set yourself free? Well, I've got a... Uh, Got an interesting story here today. I think Elizabeth came to me through like a LinkedIn connection, which I think that was like one of the first. I've had all kinds of different people that have referred, but I don't think it ever came through LinkedIn. So this is, I love this. I love it when uh, there's connections made and all kinds of, and perfect. So I, um, Elizabeth, let me make sure I say that right. How do you say it, Elizabeth? Makatowitz. 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 And she told me right before I got on. Now I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, wait, what was that? What was that? Makatowitz. Elizabeth Makatowitz. Um, and I, I tell you, Elizabeth, fascinating story. I mean, I was, I was, I've been reading up on her and uh, she kind of had a normal childhood. You know, there, there was up in Maine, it sounded pretty and you know, she was adopted when she was when she was young, but she was she had some good parents, and uh, I think her dad was a teacher. But then um, she got into some really bad relationships with men that were abusive. She ends up in the hospital on some terrible fights from abusive men, and that ends up being leading her into painkillers and getting addicted to painkillers. And uh, then the rest of it is that she's got she goes to prison. Um, and she, she's going to tell us about some of the stories that she's got from prison, but it's it's interesting how she can tell the story because she tells a good story. But her side hustle, she's an incredible artist, and she's actually, she did a lot for inmates when she was in as her side hustle, painting like coffee cups and different things uh, and walls in the prison. And she's used that as she's come out. I think she's been out for about five years now, but uh, she's a successful artist with uh, selling her art. She's actually entered the art world and, and has a clothing line that is kind of blended in to some of her art. So I can't wait to get into this because it's always good to have a female here uh, on this podcast. You know, we have them from time to time and they always have great stories because it comes from the different side of, of what's going on, but it's always blended. It all, there are always some things that are very, very similar. Um, but before we get into that, I want to welcome in our uh, sponsor, for the show, Auto Plaza Direct, you know, who likes to go and spend a couple of weekends walking lots, looking for a car, then you spend like four or five hours in the dealership to buy a car. This is like a trip to the dentist. Well, there's a better way to take away all the pain and hassle of getting a car. Auto Plaza Direct, they are your personal car concierge. Just tell them the car you want, what you can pay, and they'll go find that car for you. They'll negotiate your best price and deliver that car to you anywhere you are. They also offer warranties and financing. They're full service. Go to autoplazadirect.com to get started with your personal car concierge. The new hassle-free way, the car buying experience you deserve, autoplazadirect.com. Tell them Brent from Nightmare Success sent you. Elizabeth, 
Welcome in. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being on the Thank show. Thank you for having me. So you, uh, you have it and you've got these dogs that you're rescuing now, which I love. I, yeah. I love dogs. And, and we were just talking before we got on, there's this cute little black puppy dog that somebody dropped off and left. Um, yeah. and Elizabeth just, keeps, <laughs> she just keeps taking them. I mean, how many of these, yeah. how many of these rescue dogs do you have? Well, um, I have, Two more full-grown dogs that kind of come and go when they please. When I found Bandit and Bowser, their ears were like all bloody and oh, uh, no. filled with filled with pus, and you know they were just in really bad shape. So I kind of got them back to you know a good, healthy state, and they come by every day for food. And they, I'm at like ground zero to where people just dump their dogs, and it's terrible. It is and, like, crazy. I, some people a couple doors down, they left that little black puppy outside and he was sleeping in a trash can oh. and yeah, it was terrible. And so I, I started feeding them and taking them in and then they mm. moved, didn't even look for him. So he's, he's so, mine now, I guess. It's awful. I mean, it's great that he found a home. I mean, that's yeah. great that you were able to take him in because the, otherwise he'd be sleeping in a trash can. Yeah. So Elizabeth, tell me, um, because you, you have a really interesting story on and how all this kind of evolved with you. But can right. you take us back a little bit to the young years with Elizabeth, you being a kid yeah. and how you were growing up? You know, I, I was adopted at like two weeks old. So, I mean, there was no like immediate trauma, but there is there's always trauma with adoption no matter what. And that was something that I kind of had to come to terms with in my later years. I wasn't really even aware of it. But, um, you know, great growing up, my parents divorced. So, I mean, that was a little bit messy, but it wasn't like abusive and toxic and, you know, violent or anything. How old would but you when, I, when that happened? When the, when the parents got a divorce? I was like five or six. So you were, you were young. And, yeah. Yeah, I was young. And, um, but once I got out on my own, um, you know, I was, I was high functioning autistic and they always misdiagnosed me. Like I didn't even find out until this year that I was high functioning autistic. Like I've been diagnosed bipolar, depression, ADHD, everything under the sun pretty much. And they'd always give me these medications and it always go horribly wrong. Mm. And, you know, I, that kind of started a little bit in high school where, you know, they did, they, I was giving, they gave me Prozac and I started like, suicidal ideations that wasn't normal for me and like I started like you know uh having like visual and audio hallucinations and that's why those medications are so dangerous if you get them wrong yeah. like people just think oh you're gonna take a pill and things are gonna be better and it's actually really dangerous you know you you might as well be taking LSD if well, you, they get the wrong one because the, it, it's these are chemicals that are affecting your brain and not everyone is the same I noticed you know, that you I had to go talked about that when you uh, I don't want to jump ahead here but you talked about that when you got out of prison that you were you were taking lithium and a lot of different things that they had you on in prison that you eventually were able to get off of but yeah. they were really yeah. messing you up and how you were getting through, but I, I don't want to go there yet. But I, I just remember you talking about right. that as, as a, yeah. a whole issue. So like I struggled a little bit, a little bit with that and, but it didn't get like too bad. Um, but then when I, you know, reached adulthood, I was getting in a relationship with really toxic men and um, yeah, my 
son's Elizabeth, father. what I, I want to go into that a little bit because the your relationship sounded like they were so violent. And um, did you going into it? Did you have kind of a feel that this guy was like this, that he was as bad as he was, or did it just come on one no. night and it just became part of it? No, he literally got drunk one night and it was like a different personality. Like, I mean, his eyes changed hit like the way he held himself changed. It was like a completely different person. And like, yeah, his eyes went, you know, kind of, it was, it was just different. I don't really know how to explain it. It was absolutely terrifying. And like, he, the first time he hit me, um, he was drunk and he like kicked me across the room. I bashed the back of my head off the radiator. Then he like ragdolled me all around the room. Um, it looked like somebody got killed in there. There was blood sprayed like on the walls, mm. like, and I was drunk too. So when you're, you're drunk, you bleed more. Yeah. And that was the first head injury. And then about a month later, um, he was complaining about not having a cigarette. And I was like, get a job then. And, um, that, that was it. <laughs> and he took a wooden dowel, shoved me in the bathroom. Like I was like in the tub, like sit, knocked over and, I didn't know I was pregnant at the time and he took a wooden dowel and he threw it at me and it hit me right above my eye. Mm. If it had been like lower, it would have, it would have killed me. Blinded you, yeah. But I mean, you could see my skull when it happened. Um, they had to sew the muscle back, then the skin back. And when they gave me opioids and at first I took them and then they're like, well, you're going to have to go to the pain clinic now. And I'm like, okay. So I go to the pain clinic and they're like, you're and I get that finding out I'm pregnant while I'm at the hospital for this. So, mm. <laughs> um, and I already had my 14 month old daughter. Was it from, with him? You know, no, from okay. a different relationship. And I was 15 when I got with this guy and he was like 22. So when him and I fought, it was like fighting a girl that was a little tougher than me. Like he wasn't like, yeah, yeah. Like he was the type that would threaten to kill himself and cry. Like if I wanted to break up with him okay. and it was like that kind of toxicity. Um, this was completely different. The second relationship was completely different. And like he'd hit me once and I'd be in the emergency room, like me and you know, my daughter's father, we'd go around and I could defend myself, you know, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But you know, this other guy, he was like a lot bigger, a lot stronger and you know, one blow. And I was, almost dead and when I went to the pain clinic they're like all right you're gonna have to come back every two weeks for your opioid prescription and I'm going I don't want to take opiates when I'm pregnant mm -hmm. like I don't want to get addicted I don't like none of that and they're like well you're on too small of a dose to get addicted which we all know now 15 years later after how many people have died and how many people have been addicted that that's complete garbage mm -hmm. and they said and also <laughs> This is what makes me so mad when I hear people say, oh, you had a choice. You chose to do drugs. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't. There is no choice if there's a consequence when you say no. And they told me that by refusing medical treatment, that would result in a call to CPS for um, refusing medical care while I'm pregnant. Wow. And, you know, this I was now on state insurance. So they, so they were so saying they would I call was, in Child Protection Service if you didn't take the, what they were prescribing you to take. Yeah, basically because my blood pressure kept skyrocketing and they said that was really bad. That, for that would it, hurt the know, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And 
you know, I was going into seizures and the more pain I was in, the more like often they would come. Were the seizures, so, you know, Elizabeth, were the seizures from these head traumas yep. that you had? Okay. I had never gotten a seizure before. I would wake up on the ground. Um, well, I'm curious about moments later. the guy that did this. Did he get charged with anything or did anything come down no. on him? No. No. No, I didn't press charges. I didn't like I didn't think prison was gonna help him and I was just like in shell shock, I think. Like yeah. it really like I don't know. And I didn't I now like here I was like pregnant again and I was like, I don't wanna have another baby like with you know, did by they, myself. Did they question like, you at the hospital what happened? No, I just said I got drunk and fell okay. and <laughs> you yeah, know, it took a header, a big one. Right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, had it. And the, when I was uh, pregnant, I said I slipped in the shower and they're like, well, you have low blood pressure from being pregnant. So that's believable. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So, I mean, the abuse got worse. And after I had my son, I really didn't hold back with, you know, the prescription anymore. It was helping with the pain. It was helping with the trauma, it, yeah, you know, it was an and I was slowly, yeah, I was slowly, you know, becoming more and more addicted, but because I was in so much pain, I blame it on my chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see at the time that, you know, it was more than that. And I just, I was in denial for a long time. Like I didn't detox or anything like, and, you know, that was the thing. Like I kept saying, I'm like, well, I don't go into withdrawal, so I can't be addicted because I, I had a rule. I never did it more than five days in a row. Mm. Did, the abuse, like, did, 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 did the abuse stay constant with the guy that you were with? Oh yeah. And he, he was a drug addict too. So he'd take my pills from me yeah. and do them. So it was a bad, bad combo. <laughs> like, yeah. Very, very bad combo. And um, yeah, the abuse got worse. He would trap me in the bathroom and he would literally torture me for hours. Like he would make me get naked and get in the tub, strangle me with my own curling iron cord, burn me with cigarettes, like take knives and act like he's going to stab me. Like it would start with me begging for my life and it would end with me begging him to kill me and that just get it over with. Awful. Did your, did your parents know about this? No, I was really good at hiding it. And I was scared because I knew if CPS got involved, they would take my children. Yeah. You know, any type of domestic violence or anything like that, CPS will take your children from you. They don't help victims. You know, they make their lives harder. And, you know, were you working um, at the time when with the kids and all this going on? I worked periodically and he would take all my money from me. Like I, and go do drugs with it. Sounds and like a great guy. It was, yeah. yeah, it was really bad. He wouldn't work. He wouldn't do anything. Like I literally supported him and yeah, he took for me and my children all the time, you know, and he, the other injury I sustained from him is he strangled me so bad that he crushed my, my windpipe. Wow. And, um, Lucky so I would have these, yeah, well, you're 600 times more likely to get killed by a partner if they strangle you. And I didn't know that till like after he was gone and whatever, but he crushed my vocal cord and it was kind of, the doctor explained it like, you know, when you have a plastic tube and you bend it, you can straighten it out again, but it still has that crease and it's, yeah. so it's weak in that spot. That's what was happening with my windpipe. And if I would hiccup or if I moved the wrong way, it would 
shut and it would like go together and I completely cut off my oxygen. I would have to chug water just to be able to breathe. And this would go on for like 20 minutes to an hour. Like, of, and it would get to the point where I drank so much water, I'd be throwing it back up. Sounds horrible. And I literally couldn't breathe without it. It was absolutely terrifying. And, you know, I was getting like screws loose because, you know, after I, I eventually, he eventually put me in the hospital for the last time, got to a high speed chase, you know, came after me with a shotgun on the staircase. And eventually he went to prison mm. for three years. So that was like the final showdown. The last time he put me in the hospital, like came after me. I mean, held me hostage, sexually assaulted me. Uh, like I, for a while I had the red Miller light shirt that I was wearing when he tore it off of me. And the only reason he stopped like halfway through is, you know, because my son was in the other room screaming, terrified. Mm. He heard the whole thing. Mm. So yeah, he stopped because he heard his son, you know, terrified at, mm. you know, what was going on. And I used to have that red Miller light tank top hung up in my kitchen just to remind me, never get, you know, with emotionally that. attached yeah. to men and remember what they're capable of. Yeah. And so what was, so what was I, this? I'm curious what happened after this. He goes to prison and it I had to be a my apartment. You lost your apartment. I lost my apartment because of him. I was in public housing and the cops had shown up. So okay. I lost my public housing because of him. I went to Spruce Run, the battered women shelter, and they turned me away with two beds open. And they said, your situation is too severe. And it puts the other women in the shelter in danger. First, they called me a liar. I was like shell shocked. I had no tears left. Like I was like stone cold, like hard, like, no emotion. They said they didn't believe me because when other women came in, they were crying. They were upset. I had no emotion. So the so women's said, shelter right. turned you away. Yes. Wow. That, that was the first time I said, all right. So I went and I got my hospital records and I went and I got the police. Yeah. And they, they said, now they said, this is the second time. They said, it's okay. Well, your situation is too severe. And it puts the other women in the shelter in danger. And your injuries are so expensive, we can't protect you. They had two beds open. Wow. And um, That's just yeah. the opposite of what then you they, think from one of the women's shelters, is that they're supposed to protect me, a woman. Yeah. Then they told me if I didn't leave, they would call the cops on me. And I had made a deal with my father if I they wouldn't help me, that I would sign temporary guardianship over to, over to him. Because, you know, if he were to get out of jail, then... You know, he could show up with cops and take my children if I'm not there. Sure. And since I wasn't, I was still having moments where I was blacking out and waking up on the ground, you know, moments later. Stop, you guys. Puppies are rough. Yeah, puppies <laughs> are tired of um, our interview. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Oh, where was I? You were um, saying that you were going to, you were going to uh, sign over custody to your parents. Right. Yeah, because I, I wasn't like a safe caregiver most of the time anyway and a lot of the time I was in so much pain like I wasn't I wasn't really that you know present for them anyway mm -hmm. and so they and he he wouldn't be able to take them from my father if he showed up with the cop so that was like the best thing to do at the time like until I found a place to live and everything else but here's the thing once I signed temporary guardianship over I lost my medical care I lost 
any financial aid through the city and through the state, any vouchers I could have gotten, you know, for me and my children, that was it. Mm. There was no help after that. And so I couldn't get properly medicated anymore. I couldn't go to therapy. I couldn't, you know, go to the doctor anymore. And what'd you do? Well, you know, drug dealers protected me and they gave me places to hide, you know, work, work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) drugs to sell. And I was tough enough from all that abuse and I was traumatized enough where I wasn't scared to die and I wasn't backing down from anybody. So I developed a reputation quick and, you know, I started making money and, you know, moving up the chain through the years. And eventually I was running with some really, really dangerous people. Like, how did Elizabeth, how did you, how did you fall? How did you find them? Cause I mean, I understand that your world was upside down. Was it because, because of the, where you were? Addict. He brought me around them and, you know, I knew who you knew some the of them were. Yeah. And then eventually I met everybody on my own. Yeah. Because you got <laughs> into mean, the business. Yeah. 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 Well, and so, yeah. So you get into this, you get it further addicted and now you're running with some really, uh, you know, people who could, you know, big in the business and probably dangerous um, yeah, organized. Or both. And, and, or, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, like that have cops on their payroll. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're running big in the I business. Mean, yeah. And like there were levels to this. Like I didn't never thought there was any type of like underworld like to that level in Maine. Like, but, but you know, I, it's, it's everywhere. And. Did you ever get I into mean, uh dangerous situations when you were dealing in that world? Oh yeah. I got held hostage. I, you know, I got in a fight. I've had guns pulled on me. I've had knives pulled on me. I've had to fight my way out of, you know, men, especially this is a very misogynistic, you know, industry and women are expected to have sex and sell their bodies and just be, you know, hoes essentially. I wouldn't do that. I had rules. Like I wouldn't sleep with my dealer and like, I just, I ran, I held my own stuff and I wouldn't like, like, yeah, I had my own money. And you did pretty well. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And, but you had to be tough. You had to be ruthless and men hate it when women are better hustlers than them. Mm. They hate it. And, you know, they're quick to call you a hoe when you don't sleep with them and they get mad when you don't because they expect all these women to just bow down to them because they're a drug dealer and, yeah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, they're used to it. So, yeah. so let let us know now, like what happened. You're in this world. Uh, I'm assuming that there was a thing that happened to where you got hemmed up in something that gets you into the yeah. system. Bath salt hit Bangor and it flooded the streets, and it was legal. Yeah. Um. So I got into it. I, I, I had like, a guy hey, on here, Elizabeth, that was, uh, um the biggest bass salt guy seller in, in out of Florida and he got 12 years and it, it was yeah. legal, but mimicked ecstasy. And, and we, yep, yeah. yep. that's what, and it's funny because we got in like $12,000 in debt with China. And then all of a sudden all these synthetic drugs like bath salt and mm-hmm. all the synthetic molly started coming over here and right. flooding our streets. And I'm not getting into a conspiracy theory. I'm just saying as a former drug dealer of these substances, that's what I noticed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but 
yeah. So bath salt hit and I'm figured, Hey, I won't go to jail for this. Like yeah. I'm selling crack heroin, all these other, you know, horrible drugs that right. I can get all this time for. I'm like, shit, I might as well sell this stuff. It's legal. Right. And oddly enough, I go to jail for the first time. And, you know, I broke every single one of, you know, well, almost every single one of my rules, like with hustling, like I did that drug every day. And that was something I never did. I never did the dr did a drug more than, you know, five days in a row. So you did with and, the bath salts. Yeah. And I got, it was the first thing that got me so hooked. Like I wasn't in a right. I, I was, I was completely, you know, I'm curious, oh, Elizabeth, sorry. when you're going through this and you're getting in the bath salts and you've signed your kids over to your parents, did you have like a landing spot where you would go back into that world that wasn't this crazy world that like your parents' yeah. world? Would you bounce back and forth between the two yeah. worlds? I would go see my kids when I wasn't like, if I was like, if it was a day where I was like fun right out of it, I wouldn't go. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go see them. But you know, yeah, I would plan things. I would still go see them, you know, as much as I could. And, did you know, your parents, my whole, it was like, I had one. That you were in They the, did eventually. Yeah. They did eventually when I got really bad, they knew. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was, that was awful. But it was like, I always had one foot in and one foot out. Like I was always trying to get back, Right. you know, to my family and to get stable. And I was like, I just, I just got to get, you know, up there enough to, you know, get an apartment and get, get my kids signed over. And, yeah. and I well, that's why I asked because I wondered if you were straddling the two worlds because I would think Yeah, that, no, I really yeah. was. I, you know, because I never, you know, claimed to be a drug dealer. I never wanted to be like, I was in college before that. Like I had plans Yeah. and you know, I was just like, I got to do this. Just what were you a thinking? Little part, a what? little more, like it was always like one more flip one more flip and yeah. you know things always come up you know i always have to find a place to stay i always have to you know or i have to bail somebody out yeah. or you know there's, but there's, in college elizabeth more money, were you, more problems. in college elizabeth were you thinking were you thinking art at that time when you were in college where no. you, you weren't in that no i was i was just you know a single mother of two and i was trying to do something for you know my kids and that you know so i wouldn't be on this you know minimum wage just having more education right yeah. to get a better job and so, yeah. yeah i was in the hospitality and tourism industry yeah. now because i was really good at customer service and i was really good at marketing yeah. and you know i you know that's kind of what i so do you went now into the on drug the business like I, <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> but I, 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 I'm laughing at that, but because there was a lot of guys that I knew at Leavenworth that were very good at all of those things. And they, yeah. they, they had, you know, distribution and customer service and incentives and com all the different things that they had done, which yeah. is, is a business and a good business, but it was a legal business. And if they were doing it on right. the other side, the flip side, they would have had an incredible business. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, so, so let's I go, just, let's go back, Elizabeth. So you get, you're, you're straddling the fence back and forth and, um, you know, that you're getting deeper and deeper into the drug yeah. trade. Do, do you and know, do, do, do you fear that you're going to get, do you feel that you might get arrested? Oh yeah. I, and it wasn't in, it was getting more and more dangerous to the point where I didn't want to go to see my kids because I was being followed by people in the street. I, okay. you know, it got, 
this was after I got held hostage and, yeah. you know, other things had, you know, it, it was getting very dangerous and people were, you know, just higher levels of yeah, you know, I would rank, crime. I would rank being held hostage as getting more dangerous. Right. And so I didn't want, and then my kids got threatened at one point by a complete sociopath. Yeah. And you know, that, that would <laughs> so be scary. I, I, yeah. I was like, if I stay away from my kids to protect them, I will. And I just, I was in these situations I didn't know how to get out of. And, you know, I went to jail in 2011 during the state and in, in the state. And then in 2013, when it was all over with and I wasn't even selling drugs anymore, I was, I would still dabble and do them here and there because I'm still an addict without any treatment. Mm -hmm. And through, um, through your state prison stint. No, no, this I wasn't. This in 2011, I did like seven months in the state for the basalt. Okay. But in 2013 is when the feds picked it up. Okay. After everything was done, everyone had gone to their done their state bids and whatever, and then um, the feds picked it up in 2013. Like, and some people were sober, had moved on with their lives, had kids, gotten good jobs. Like, yeah. I mean, I wasn't. I was still kind of you know a traumatized mess and yeah. couldn't you know get my life together and I was still you know I hadn't gone to rehab I didn't I, I was still trying to like just get be okay mm -hmm. you know I like the trauma had me sad mm -hmm. at that point I wasn't like strung out selling drugs anymore but I still wasn't okay yeah. at all did they have you on other meds like, from the state prison like you, you no, to, yeah. no okay they wouldn't um they wouldn't really give me they gave me stuff while I was there, but yeah. you know, once you get out and that was another thing, when I got out of prison, I had $1,300 worth of drugs yeah, from the prison. Yeah. I had no way to pay for it. Yeah. So I started detoxing off these psych meds and then I, you know, spiraled and went back to jail for probation. But yeah, sorry, that's something ahead. Um, so yeah, I ended up getting arrested in 2013 and, um, it was a huge case. Uh, 14 uh, co-defendants wow. total and um, they had scattered all over the place and you know my first week at Somerset County I witnessed an entire pod of women get stripped out because they signed up for a razor and the male sergeant wanted a list of who shaved their vaginas and who didn't wow. those that did got punished so that was like my first and you know I, I saw a lot of things you know those seven months too like I watched a woman go into labor and they wouldn't take her to the hospital until we all threatened a riot and then they told her if it was a false alarm in Braxton Hicks she was going to go in the hole for wasting their money. Mm. If you don't want to pay for a pregnant woman's health care send her home. I've always thought that I've always thought that's so amazing about <clears throat> you know babies being born in prison because you know on the Obviously, on the male side, you don't see that or hear that because it's not part right. of the uh, of the world. But I would think that would change so much the dynamic of what's going on. No, they're prison. awful, and they don't care. They'll gas a pregnant woman. They will abuse and be a pregnant woman. Mm. I mean, it's terrible what what they do. I mean, we just got a law passed in Maine uh, mandating all the jails provide tampons and pads free of charge. Because what happens is women will try to make their own tampons and end up getting infections. Like, that's not okay. You're getting over $100 a day per inmate. You can afford to give women 
pads and tampons for free. We can't go get it ourselves. And, you know, if we buy it on the commissary, you jack the price up, triple the amount, and we get paid $5.25 right. a month yeah. in prison. Yeah. And, free you know, labor. You, yeah, all free label. Did you know a hospital may, saves $350,000 a year contracting their linen to be washed by inmates? I didn't know that until I read it that you in your other interview, but that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. But I do know that yeah, there's a I, lot of work programs out there and you see a lot of prisoners that do a lot. And, you know, it's funny because you see these things like in movies, uh, like Shawshank, right. you know, Shawshank Redemption, you know, he had them out there all working and he was getting paid, you know, all this under the, under the table stuff. And you're like, Oh, I can't believe that really happened, but that's just a movie. No, that's just kind of part of no, the whole prison complex. Happening. Yeah. There were inmates moving dead COVID bodies for pennies a day. And then my favorite thing, they do this in Maine. There's a store. They have a wood, like inmates will make work in the wood shop mm-hmm. for free. Don't make any money. And that's good. They have something to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But they're taking all of the stuff that the inmates make and selling it for crazy profit. For they have a whole yeah. store. Yeah. Like you are profiting off of, Slave labor. Yeah. That's what this is. America makes up 20% of the global incarceration population. That's one fifth of the world. We make up 5% and they want to gaslight us with land of the free. Like I don't even go to 4th of July anymore. It's a joke. Yeah. Well, there's, there's it's a lot of people that we imprison compared to our population. So yeah. Elizabeth, let's go back. I want to kind of figure out what happened here with this. You, you went in for a couple of years into state prison and then the, you get him. No, no, def- not state prison. I didn't go to state oh, prison. Okay. I only did seven months. Okay. Okay. So, so, so then you get hemmed into this federal case. It ends up being 14 people. What do you, what time are you looking at for this federal case? I, um, at one point, uh, my guidelines were 10 to 13 years because some snitch told them I was a general. I didn't even know there was an army, but, Mm -hmm. um, apparently I was a general Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. So my lawyer got that thrown out, thank God. And now I was only looking at like five to seven years and uh, this could have gone either way. But um, I started, I took a capsule of basalt, which I didn't normally do. And I started feeling like I was going to overdose. And I was at this person's house and I wanted to get out of there. So I called somebody who I was getting drugs through and he showed up to pick me up. Well, they cut my throat and completely cut me out because that was somebody I sold to. Mm. And so now I was being responsible for all the weight that they had sold together because mm. the prosecution was saying that they met through me. So I should be held responsible. Yeah, I did conspiracy. not set that up. Like, yeah, they, I didn't set that up. I was not trying to, you know, that was not my intention. I was in a overdose state trying to get out of there. Yeah. So, Luckily, the judge saw it my way, and you know that got thrown out okay. as well. But I mean, a judge could have could have just been like, "No, she was there. They met because of her, Which and that's all her fault." Yeah, yeah, it does, and it's years of people's lives. Yeah, it's just disgusting. So I ended up with thirty-seven months, and um, yeah, I was right when Obama uh, did the two-point reduction for yeah. nonviolent drug offenders. Yeah. And, you know, it was so funny because I was in prison when Obama was president and I was in prison when Trump was president. And I saw the differences. Like when Trump, when I went back for probation, 
you know, Trump had had all his people say, give drug dealer, nonviolent drug dealers the max. So the prisons were just filling up so fast and people, so many people had mandatory minimums of just 10 years mm-hmm. and, you know, the food was running out. Um, you know, a lot of times you went to chow, you know, and you weren't there early, you'd run out of food because mm-hmm. their budget, you know, wasn't matching what the, what their the population was. Yeah. Yeah. So people were going hungry. Yeah. So you're, Tell us a little bit about your world. You're going into a federal prison. Um, how did you handle that? Like, what was what was your strategies of thinking? Okay, I've 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 lived a life journey coming to this point. Uh, going into prison, honestly, what was your I thoughts? was so happy to get out of county. Like, I could not wait to go. Yeah, to you were in there like 15, 16 months, and, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, they, I had no bail. I had, I couldn't go to rehab. I, they wouldn't let me do anything. I was just stuck in the county jail and in a pod with no going yeah. outside. I know it's, 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 no, it's around. the worst of the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when, like when I was at Somerset County, I was targeted like really badly. Like the, the female sergeant hated me when I was in solitary and they were giving me that medication that put me in psychosis that I was not supposed to be on. She was coming in there telling me to kill myself. Oh man. Like, and then she'd write on my request forms. Like you, I can't wait for you to get out and overdose. So you stop wasting taxpayers money. Like she would write this awful stuff to me. And you know, I don't even know what her problem was. She never even like came into our pod. She never ran our our pod. Mm. And you know, the other officer said that she would treat staff like that. And they just let her get away with it. She's just a hateful person. Yeah. And then she told another inmate, yeah. Yeah. She told another inmate that, and they had to cut him down from a suicide attempt. Mm. He tried to hang himself mm. and she still works there, still yeah. getting her pension. Um, and it makes me, it's just so disgusting because there was a little 18 year old girl who told her boyfriend to kill himself and he went through with it. So she got charged, you know, mm-hmm. and went to prison, mm-hmm. you know, for egging him on and, you know, as she should, but why is a little sick girl getting charged? But this officer of the law who has power over this person mm-hmm. with mental health issues, she gets to keep her job and keep her pension. Yeah. You know, Somerset County is, you know, beyond corrupt. And they're, they really, <laughs> it's, it's really bad there. I watched horrible. a lot of, a lot of awful. And they, they pick and choose who they want to mess with mm-hmm. and, you know, medically neglect others. They will, you know, put up on a pedestal and, you know, let them get away with horrible yeah, special stuff. privileges. So going oh, yeah. in, so going in Elizabeth to your world, um, 37 months you go in, um, how do you, how do you navigate through there? You know, I signed up for as many classes as I could. I exercised every day and yeah, I was just so happy to like be able to go outside and come and go as I please. Like it was like a load off my shoulder. Like this is the end of the road. I just have like, you know, 18 months left and this place is beautiful. It's surrounded by mountains. Like, you know, I can, I can draw, I can paint. I, and I started getting paint from the art room and you know, I, I had my little routines and, you know, you could email in mm-hmm. federal prison. So it was a lot easier to talk to my family. And I thought it yeah, was kind I of mean, cool, Elizabeth, where you were talking about that you started getting paint 
And yeah. you started like for coffee mugs and different things, giving people the, like their own identity, because that's one of those things when you're in prison, you don't really have that much identity because you all wear the same clothes and everything's kind of, of not color. Yeah. Um, and they strip you, give you a number. Yeah. You get the number and all that. You actually kind of started becoming that person that was giving people their own identity through your artwork. But I thought the story was really cool where you got, because you had paint, they put you in uh, the hole. But then when you came back, they they stole the paint to get you the paint that you had so you could continue to do what you were doing, which I thought was really yeah, cool. Yeah, the, the I got raided um, a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> and they well, took might, my paint. You might because- explain that, Elizabeth, because when you get raided in prison, it is so humbling and you feel so violated because they toss everything and your world that you have is not much. You've got like a bunk bed, a plastic chair, no, and a locker. I've watched them go in and tear people's pictures up it's of awful. their families and stuff just yeah. to get a that response. Yeah. So they make that person and, you know, say, Oh, I'm going to put you in solitary. I'm going to make your life hell because you said something defiant towards me yeah. like and all you have is your personal like your pictures your letters yeah. like yeah. those are the your precious you know belongings that's all you have and to have some hateful officer they'll come and spray soda all over it oops yeah. and you can't do or say anything or you're gonna get lugged and they're gonna throw all your stuff away anyway right which is so horrible. you're not supposed to have yeah you're not supposed to have paint or you know food from the kitchen yeah. stuff like that yeah so when i was <laughs> when i was getting ready i'm sitting there in the hallway like this and the lady's just you know so excited she busted me and then one of the girls walked by goes don't worry we'll get you some more and, and they then did. they come back with like way more than I even had. Like they came back with silver and gold and like metallic colors. And I was like, Oh my God, like I'm like falling now. Like, yeah. You wait, the stuff I can do with this. And yeah, the Spanish girls and that, you know, uh, these two Latina girls, they were some of my best friends. Um, they came back with whole, um, tubs of paint when I got raided at Danbury. Yeah. So you're ready and, to go yeah, after that. And oh yeah. yeah, did you get, did you get, did you get put in the hole? I the did. special housing times. unit? Uh, not in, um, well, in Danbury, once I did, I was, we I, we were on lockdown because I sold some of my phone minutes for my friend. Anyway, yeah. um, we were on lockdown and we had an hour out a day. Well, this officer who's a rookie and he just come back from the military. So, you know, he was just a really great person. Um, and he wouldn't let us go out. So I started arguing. I had like two weeks left. And like these guys that come from the military, it's such a misogynistic rape culture. Like they bring that culture and you know, that's how they treat the women in me. It's, it's awful. And so like the officers that say they're military, I stay right the hell away from them. Well, this, day I was on like the opposite end of my whatever mental health spectrum Mm -hmm. and I started arguing with them because I was just like you're not like I'm not I'm getting my hour out I'm going for a walk today one way or another I'm going for a walk it ended with him telling him I was suicidal and they brought me down in the main building and I spent the night in medical and the lady was so mad because she's like she's not suicidal like she's just stupid like she shouldn't have ran her mouth like this is this is a waste of my time. So the guy ended up making himself look like an idiot 
like because I wasn't I wasn't suicidal at all like I was not yeah. threatening right anything. and you're only two weeks like, no. from the door too yeah yeah like and I maxed out so what what was I gonna care right so you, but yeah the so one of the things one of the things though Elizabeth awful. one of the things Elizabeth I noticed that is they they allowed you to start painting like the walls in prison right yeah, but um, it was like two colors. Yeah, <laughs> it was black and blue, or something like that. Yeah, it was blue. Um, they the one of the where you said managers, you were going through your blue period. Yeah, I yeah. Got, yeah. My she wanted to make the place look beautiful and inspiring, mm-hmm. and not like institutional white walls. So she asked me if I would paint with it, and she said, "I want you to use this." pretty blue color. Mm-hmm. Do you think he can do that? And I'm like, yeah, as long as you give me black and white and maybe silver for highlights, if you really want to make it you mm-hmm. know, special. And so, yeah, I've got pictures for you. So yeah. I got to paint the whole length of um, the hallway at Danbury. I have some pictures. I don't have all of them, but well, for those and watching on was, YouTube, these are the pictures that she painted. Elizabeth painted on at the walls. Danbury. Yeah. And from what I've heard, the murals are still there. That's so. very cool. That's my Phoenix. Um, yeah. And then they would have quotes in the middle of it. Yeah. Very cool. And you got to paint uh, just, they didn't even, oh, that's very, that's really cool. No, they said, paint what I want as long as it's beautiful. And I said, okay, I can do that. I love that. Get the hands and the bird. Yeah. Very cool. So Elizabeth, let's talk about you get your two weeks from getting out. What's going through your mind about getting out? Um, well, I was nervous and, you know, I, well, before I, when, before I got out on probation, I was like super excited, super terrified. And, but I, I kind of like had a little mental, like, breakdown over it because at first they told me I was going to the halfway house in Portland. So I would not be in Bangor. I would not be facing my trauma every day. I would not be running into old people that, you know, I ran with and I was so excited. I was like, yes, this is my chance. I don't, I don't have to, you know, Mm -hmm. see all those, all those places, people, places and things and, you know, deal with that. And then like a month before they sent me home, they tell me I'm going to Bangor and yeah, that I like broke down over it. I was like, I'm going to fail. I can't do this. I can't mm-hmm. go back to Bangor. And it was kind of like I set myself up for failure. But I mean, I wasn't wrong. I mean, I don't know if I would have done any better had I not had that mentality because, you know, I had a panic attack every time I left my house. Mm-hmm. And the halfway house was a nightmare they were letting pedophiles look at my children. And mm-hmm. when I went completely mental on them, I, I said, I can't stop thinking about killing him, which pissed them off because I didn't actually make a threat. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't send me away. And then they called my probation officer and locked me in a room. And I'm like, yeah, I said it. They're letting a registered predator who likes little boys from the ages of five to 10 look at my children through the window. He's not supposed to be within 100 feet of kids. And they're breaking his laws. Mm-hmm. And then my probation officer stuck up for me. She okay. was great. Like, I, I love her. She goes, well, clearly she's being triggered, and I don't blame her. And they're telling me, oh, he's, he's safe. He's safe. Don't worry. Your kids are fine. I go, don't tell me my kids are fine. My best friend growing up changed her shirt in the window. 
And her sex offender neighbor saw her one time and became fixated on her. Mm. For years, he stalked her, would chase her from the bus stop, leave her love notes in her mailbox. Like she was terrified. And the guy was already on the registry. So you're not going to sit here and tell me that I'm overreacting or that he's safe or anything like that. Because my life experiences tell me differently. And my again, my probation officer stuck up for me. So because they got in trouble with the probation office, like they, they came down on them for this. Good. They're like, you're triggering, you're, you're triggering half the inmates there. And I wasn't the only one flipping out about it. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm the one who completely like... So did you, but Elizabeth, going through that, I know going through halfway house and everything is so tough and, and it's, it's, it's there. Some, some people say they'd rather go back and be in the prison than halfway house, but like your kids, your mom, your dad, all that kind of stuff that was going on. Did, was it, did you have a support piece when you entered society again? Yes, I did. And you know, they came, they would come visit me and then the halfway house would turn them away yeah. and I wouldn't get to see my kids. But you know, this other girl who could spend the hotel with her co-defendant mm-hmm. and you know, because she was telling on everybody. And right. so it was this, you know, that they, they really targeted me and my bunkie who is no longer here. Um, unfortunately she mm-hmm. ended up overdosing. She was one of my best friends. That's sad. Um, but it seemed like they targeted the younger, more attractive girls. Mm-hmm. And yeah, basically that's what it is. They come to our room every day. You know, they didn't put um, my medication through and I ended up detoxing off lithium to the point where I was like, you're going to have to bring me to the hospital. Like, because I can feel my heart, you know, beating wrong and it is painful in my chest. I'm getting shooting pain down my arm. If you stop taking lithium, your heart can stop. It's very dangerous to just stop taking it. And they messed up and wouldn't get me the medication because they didn't put the paperwork in. Like I'm an inmate. I can't get that stuff for myself. Right. And they tried to put it on me and you know, the probation officer came down on them again. Well, long story short, I ended up going back to jail from, from the halfway house. And I was so happy about it. I was like, I am not going back there. Like I literally, what did they say you did Elizabeth? To put you back in. Um, oh, but if you just if you just get written up too many times, they can send you back. Yeah. And I was like, get me out of here. I want to leave. Mm-hmm. I hate this place. I hate you all. You're corrupt, abusive cops, and you're letting pedophiles look at my children. Like after that, I was like defiant to the end. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't. I was not having it with these people. How long? Did, how long did you go back? Um, like sixty days. Okay. And then I was out. Um. I was out on probation and like right off the bat. Um, oh, hold on. Hey, puppy, what do you think you're doing? No. We don't know what the puppies just did, but. <laughs> yeah, they were, I, I have some of my clothing pieces for you oh, to, for you guys to look at. And he was carrying it off. Okay. Just trying to help. <laughs> puppies just that. trying to help. That's all. Yeah. He's going to eat your trying to put it on display, yeah. clothing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, so Elizabeth, you, you, you got back out after the 60 yeah. day stint and then what was life like? It was awful. It was like everything I had blocked out in prison, like came back all at once. Um, my first couple nights, they, my parents had me on a cot in my son's room 
And I was, I, my dad would come in and wake me up because I was like screaming and freaking out in my sleep. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you're going to scare the kids. And yeah, so that was like an adjustment period. And just like going to Walmart to like, pick something, pick out toothpaste was <laughs> so overload. overwhelming. Yeah. It was so overwhelming. Like it's, and when, when you go to solitary, they did a study, like your brain literally slows down from the lack of stimulation. So mm. normal stimulation is completely overwhelming and it sends you into panic mode yeah. and it shuts off your empathy and other human emotions. So you can't connect with people anymore. And, you know, like it took me so long to like really like turn my empathy back on and like undo all the damage that had been done. And, you know, this like high, you know, when there's like a lot going on, like Walmart, there's just so much yeah. stuff for your brain to like take in, yeah. you know, it's like, and I still feel nervous. Like I would throw up when I first got out. Like I, I would get physically ill from the stress of just going into a place like that mm -hmm. and driving. It felt like, it felt like we were going like a hundred miles an hour and I'd look over and it'd be like 40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I think it does. It takes, it takes time to get back and feel normal, like steadied. Um, right. But when did you start feeling like maybe you were steadied? Oh God, probably like couple, probably within this last year, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, like, yeah. you know, it's just, I didn't like to leave my house. Like I had done some great things. Like I had won writing contests. I had, um, you know, got into the art world. Yeah. And had art shows and, um, changed, gotten bills put on the table and changed laws and, you know, I've, I've gotten Bangor city council to look into the pilot program so um, they can help people who have overdosed, you know, mm -hmm. get into recovery and treatment instead of them just going into withdrawals from the Narcan and then using again. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's just, I've, yeah. I've been, I've been talking to like, yeah, people like that. I've been surrounded. I've been surrounding myself with different kinds of people. I had to leave a lot of my friends, you know, behind. So it was really lonely, but you know, like I got love for them and I, I care about them. I just can't be, you know, around that anything to do with that life anymore. Like I just don't, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to dream about it. I don't like, I, I don't want to get upset about it anymore. Yeah, so. no. And it's, I think it's really tough to step out of your <laughs> comfort zone where, you know, the people that you know, the people that you're used to being around and you, yeah. you decide you can't be in that because you're stepping a different direction. That's tough. But yeah, I think, and I, I think, I I think in doing that though, Elizabeth, you've been able to do the things that you're talking about. You, you're getting in your art going, you've got yourself a clothing line using your art. Uh, can you yeah. put that up again, by the way? You're, yeah. Um, what this all you is got my here? This is my, this is called a Faruski. Um, and there's, this is my lucky koi fish I painted on it. Like I put gold, uh, scales in it to like draw in abundance and wealth. And yeah. red is a power, passionate color. Um, here, this is a placemat. This is the same design. Like you can get, um, the same design on all kinds of different clothes. So you could get bags, headbands, dresses, and it comes in plus sizes. <laughs> like we're very so inclusive. Where does somebody go to get that? You can go on my website, uh, legalerie.com slash en slash Elizabeth dot And um, you can go on the website and you can look at all the paintings. 
I'll put the, um, I'll put that in the my, episode description too, so everybody can see that. Thank you. Yeah, you can see um, the paintings like right on the tag. That's very cool. I love that you're doing that. You're using all your talents now and, and starting a whole new yeah. new life. Yeah, and it's being sold in a couple stores in Bangor. I'm wor- we moved out of state, so I'm working on getting up. Like my, my dream and my goal is to get it put in Kohl's or like a big department yeah. store like that. Like yeah. That's my next big goal. I can see you doing that. I wouldn't want to mess with you, Elizabeth. You, you're driven. <laughs> I always ask everybody, Elizabeth, um, you know, you've lived through something that I guess I, you know, some people would think, well, how did, how did she survive? What do you think is your biggest takeaway through everything that you've been through? Um, you know, for a lot of years, it was probably because I gaslighted myself and told myself I'd been through worse. And like, I based my worth on how much I could take. And, you know, when I finally started, you know, processing these things and going to therapy and dealing with all this trauma, it was like breaking a dam open. (laughs) And, you know, I think that was, you know, part of that year and a half where I didn't really leave my house. Like, but it was that too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just wanted better. And I'm just so angry that these things keep happening to people. I'm angry. There's 29 empty properties for every homeless man, woman, and child in America. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm angry that, you know, there's a mass shooter every day. I'm angry that these people who are supposed to work for us are serving themselves Mm -hmm. and their corporate sponsors. And, you know, I think it's just more of a drive to see this country be better. And, you know, I want a better, I want to be happy. And I'm trying to find ways of doing that instead of just surviving. And like, I'm, I, I'm, I have my days where I like, I'm happy and I have happy moods, but you know, then I have other days where it's just like, it's too much for me to deal with. And, you know, I think the thing about it is Elizabeth is that if you use that inner drive, that passion that you have of all the things that you've experienced along your journey, I think you can create real change. And I think you can use your talents with your art and with your passions of, of knowing, having a seat at the table uh, to hopefully change some of the things that you feel you say angry. I think it's passion and um, you use that. I think you can affect real change. I really do. Thank you. You've got quite, you've got quite the story and I'm glad that you shared it here today. Um, for those who want to continue on listening to the story, I wrote a book. It's called nightmare success. Uh, check it out. <laughs> Amazon Barnes and Noble. Um, love the likes uh, on social media and the comments going back and forth Please, please, please write a review on Apple. If you go to my uh, Apple page, you just scroll down and uh, you'll find it says uh, reviews. You hit write a review. Those are great because it helps promote the show. Uh, If you are wanting to follow the show, it's great because you can just, the time that I I publish, it'll pop right up. And all you got to do is go up in the right corner there, hit follow the show on Spotify, hit the bell. Go to brentcassie.com. All my stuff's there. Love to communicate back and forth. And uh, as I used to say when I was on my email at Leavenworth, stay strong and I'll do the same. Elizabeth, thanks for being my guest today. I appreciate it. I was happy to be here. Thank you. Nightmare success in and out. See you all later.